So you start it, and I'll talk when it sounds like you're talking on my side, because if you try to line up with me, then you're going to sound lagged, because Uh, it's recording from my end, so I have to line up with you, so you do the thing. Okay. Okay. Hello, and welcome to I I Could Be Friends with with Her! her. This is the extra (laughs) special episode. Extra special. How's it extra special, Talia? Because I'm far away from you. We're not that far away, but we're definitely not in the same location. Definitely not, and hopefully the recording quality is okay. It's it's definitely going to be different than the last um, couple episodes. Yeah. But hopefully better, so it's okay. Yeah, so um, Talia is at her respective school, and I'm at my respective school, mm-hmm. and those schools are not in the same city, so not. we are recording via Skype, um, and it is interesting, but we're going to give it a go. You know, there's a first time for everything. Um, yeah, so. A lot of work went into making sure mm-hmm. I sound louder than yep. a whisper <laughs> and Annabelle not sounding like she's on yeah. a megaphone so hopefully yeah. that works yeah so um yeah this i don't know if this is going to be like our permanent setup um or what but we're gonna try it out um and if we'll it see is, we'll definitely invest in yeah we'll we'll upgrade this is remembered this is the beginning um things are kind of lower quality than we would like them to be um but we will eventually uh, work our way up in the world of podcasting. If we keep talking about how bad our podcast is, people are going to stop listening. No, I think it's charming. You think it's charming? I think people like whenever you talk about how bad something is, because we're humble. We're being humble about it. Well, I guess we're addressing the obvious. It's like comedians. Yeah. Like, their first joke is always, like, yeah. something about, about their appearance. Exactly. exactly. Normally. Normally. Good we gotta break the ice. We gotta break the ice. Yeah. Let's play some icebreakers. Yeah. Um, um, but I do like this because we don't have like any time limit. We won't feel rushed at all because. That is nice. Uh, I mean, obviously, we don't want to go. For... Except I have jury duty at six, so we need to wrap this up. Talia. <laughs> at six p.m. <laughs> to start jury duty. It's such a like. A specific random thing. I don't know. I just that caught me off guard. I was not expecting <laughs> you to say that. Um, I have a couple of things. So this is our first time recording since the first three episodes have even gone out. Um, so I have a couple notes about the first three episodes. Um, so Mozart's father's name. I already told you this. Oh, His name yeah. was Leopold, not Leopold. <laughs> well, we don't know that one hundred percent. We're it is likely sure. Leopold. It is honestly just as likely to be Leopold. Well, I guess it's more likely to be one of those, but I'm not sure. Well, okay, so there's a show called Mozart in the Jungle. Do you know about this show? No. Okay, it's an Amazon Prime show, and it's, like, about Mozart. And his father is in it, and he is, his name is Leopold. So it's either Amazon's right or I am. Pick exactly. Sides. Okay. Um, but also in that show, his sister makes an appearance. My aunt told nice. me about that. So I've never watched it, but apparently it's really good. I thought you were saying that your aunt is his sister. Nope. You were like, his sister makes an appearance. My aunt, of course, as you know. <laughs> oh, oh, yes, you know. I am I am a Mozart. Um, yeah, that's kind of really all I had. Um, thanks to everyone who has listened and so far. Yeah, we have a decent amount of like downloads for it. 
Um, <laughs> but not very many reviews, so please do that. I've read all of our reviews, all three of them. <laughs> we have like seven ratings. If seven reviews. ratings. We do have we have more ratings than reviews. So if you're gonna go ahead and rate, like, might as well review. Even yeah. if you just say like thumbs up, good job. <laughs> Leave an emoji. <laughs> yeah. You don't Doesn't have to be a relevant emoji. No. Just yeah. No. An just, emoji. Like, a canoe. Do they have a canoe emoji? I don't they know. Have a kayak, if they do. I'm pretty sure. Just leave that. So yeah. So. Okay. Do you have I, anything to say for about our first episode back? Um, I have. The feedback has been really good, just from like friends and stuff. Yeah. It's been awesome. A lot of people I didn't expect to listen have been listening, so I really appreciate nice. that. Um. All right. So um. According to my spreadsheet, I made a spreadsheet of all of our episodes. Um, I went first last time, so it's your turn. Okay. Um, well, today I am going to be talking about... Oh, the... wait. Um, just an FYI, I have a bit of a cold, so I might sound weird and I might sniffle. I'm going to try and edit out all of my sniffles, but I might not be able to. Okay. Thanks for interrupting me yeah, to sorry. say something that you're going to correct later anyway. Well, I just, I don't know if I sound weird and you don't there might be weird. sniffles that I can't. Okay. So it wasn't worth the interruption. Okay, I'm just I'm kidding. Sorry. You're fine. Do whatever sorry. you want. I'm sorry. You know what? I'm not even going to talk anymore. Okay. This is over. It's just going to be 20 minutes of silence, and then you're going to be like, that's great, and then you start yeah. talking. <laughs> okay. Anyway, today I am talking about, not obviously not her biggest achievement, but probably something extremely notable that everyone has been influenced by, the inventor of the foot pedal trash can, Lillian Muller Gilbreth, who was born May 24th, 1878, um, and died January 2nd, 1972. Nice. Um, I actually have one of those trash cans right next to my foot right now. I couldn't afford one, but we have one in our apartment. So, like, I have two non-foot pedal ones, but I would definitely Mm -hmm. prefer foot pedal trash cans. So, a few of her nicknames are um, America's First Lady of Engineering, a genius in the art of living, and the mother of modern management. So, yeah, she was, she had a lot of diverse um, roles and positions. So, um, some of her jobs were, well, these things all kind of combined into a career that she just made for herself and was extremely unique, but, um... She was a psychologist and industrial Neat. engineer, so she was the first industrial organizational psychologist. Yo. She was, yeah, that sounds like your dream job. Yeah. She was a consultant, author, and educator. So, um, she was born in Oakland, California, May 24th, 1878, um, as Lily, and then changed her name to Lillian in college. And she was born to Annie and William Moeller. She was the second oldest of 11 kids. Oh, heck. Which is That's a lot. quite a couple. But she was very smart. She was vice president of her senior class. And she, like, graduated with really great grades from Oakland High School. Um, so I'm going to start by talking about her education. So she commuted by streetcar to UC Berkeley every day from nice. Oakland. Um, so, like, imagine if you just took the streetcar in New Orleans every day to a school in a different city. 
in a different city. Yeah, yeah that's crazy. Like Oakland. Those things Berkeley. are slow. Those things don't travel very fast. So you have to wait on it. Yeah. It's 1878. There's no uh, air conditioning, which I guess gross. it's like open anyway, but it's still like, yeah. So you hot. Know, and, and every cold. day. Ugh. And cold. Yeah. There's no heating whenever it's There's no heat when it's cold. No. Nope. Man. But um so she was really cool for that. And then she graduated with a teaching certificate and a bachelor's in English literature, nice. which is not at all related to what she ended up doing. Nope. So it's <laughs> um so then she was like, You know what, I'm gonna go get my master's degree and so she went to Columbia um, like, not, like, the country, like, the university, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, um, <laughs> she wanted to study under Brander Matthews, which, um, this isn't about him, but I, like, wanted to see what his deal was, and he was basically just this, like, highly esteemed professor of drama, um, and he was super adamant that women didn't have the ability to be as great of playwrights as men, so he wouldn't let her, he wouldn't even let her attend his lectures, like, oh she couldn't study under him in no way, um, he That's was insane. a very open erudite, and, like, didn't hide his privilege at all, like, mm -hmm. he had no humility, he was kind Ew. of a jerk, but su still, like, su super famous, um, yeah. But also his wife was an actress, but then she gave up her career whenever they got married. So, I mean, make, make make of that what you will. I'm not saying that like it's all tied together, but um, you can make your own assumptions about, about Brander right. Matthews. Um, but then she got sick while she was studying there. So oh. she moved back home and finished her degree at UC Berkeley. Um, and also, at UC Berkeley, she was the first female commencement speaker ever. Whoa. Well, not like, well, at UC Berkeley. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think it's forever, but, like, that's a big school. Yeah. It's a well-known school. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So then, she has kind of, like, a history of, like, starting a degree and then, mm -hmm. like, not finishing it there. Um, yeah. So she started her doctorate at UC Berkeley, and then she was like, you know what? I'm gonna go on a trip to Europe. And that's where she met her future hubby Frank <gasps> Bunker Gilbreth. So, I wrote future hubby. I kind of hate myself for it, but I did it anyway. <laughs> so, um, after they traveled through Europe, they moved to New York, and she wrote her dissertation for a PhD, but hadn't completed the other requirements for UC Berkeley. Mm -hmm. Which is like, seems like kind of the opposite of what most people do. Yeah. Because, like, the dissertation is, like, the yeah. crazy, long... The big, long, annoying part. Yeah. And then... <laughs> <laughs> so, um... She... She wrote that. It was still, like... Like, it was really good, and people used it just generally. I don't remember what it was called, but... Yeah. I saw it, and I didn't write it down, because... Yep. Um, and then, <laughs> so they moved from New York to Providence, Rhode Island, and then she, um, got her PhD in applied psychology, and she no. was the, um, first, so industrial management was, like, a new field, so it was, like, the structure and organization of industrial com companies, mm -hmm. and she was the first person in that field to have a doctorate. Um, uh, yeah. She was the very first person to get a doctorate in that? Yeah. Well, no, she Whoa. got, she was the first person in industrial management to have a doctorate. Uh, so, oh, okay. her doctorate oh, was cool. in 
applied psychology okay, and then yeah, she yeah. used that to organize so and structure really cool. companies yeah she's pretty that's cool. really cool um and specifically her dissertation was on efficient teaching techniques so throughout her career she kind of combined psychology scientific management and engineering so um in her career she combined psychology scientific management and engineering so um mostly she was a consultant to applied psychology to reinvent everyday appliances at the home office and sports whatever she was also the first female engineering professor ever at Purdue School of Mechanical Engineering. Yeah. Um, so, and they ended up naming the engineering library at Purdue after her and her husband. husband. Um, That's cool. Yeah. So, she while there, she established... Um, the Time in Motion Lab, and Time in Motion is what most of her work was based on. So she focused on work simplification, um, and that's kind of how she applied the psychology and the engineering, tied them together. She was also, um, throughout like her education career, she was head of she was head of Newark College of Engineering, which is now called the New Jersey Institute of Technology. And then also, when she was 86, she was a resident lecturer at MIT. She was a lecturer at 86? Yeah, at that MIT. really old to be teaching. Right. No, <laughs> That's I... That's insane. Yeah, but... She, do, she, she must have just stop. been really good. She didn't stop. Yeah, she like, did, like... <laughs> she'd done so much, she didn't need to. Like, she already did yeah. all this other stuff. She oh still did Oh my gosh. It. She just kept on going. All right, you ready to get into some of her most notable inventions? Yes, please. Okay, so some things that you might be familiar with that she invented. Mm -hmm. um, fridge shells that hold, like, butter and eggs. Like, the nice. shells in your fridge wouldn't yeah. be there without her. Like, maybe would someone would have, like, had them eventually, but she... But, she... like, the ones, like, on the door and stuff? right. Yo. Yeah. I use those all the time. Right. No, like, can you imagine a <laughs> fridge without them? No. Right. It's that's crazy. just an, that's just a nice chest. So thank you, Dr. Gilbreth, for that. Thank you. Um, she, also, the foot pedal trash can, as I nice. mentioned. Um, she had a lot of patents for improved household items. Um, she was the one who designed the work triangle and linear layout of kitchens. So... Oh, I know about this. Yeah, okay. so she was yeah. like, she designed the layout that would be most efficient when you're yeah. working in the kitchen. Uh huh. Yeah, so it's like a triangle between the sink, the refrigerator, and the stove slash mm -hmm. oven, right? Right. Yeah. Whoa, I actually knew about that. That's right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so she did that, and also I don't know if you've heard of them, but wall light switches. I don't know. Oh. I don't know no. if you've heard um, of that, but that's a thing that she did. Wait, where were they before? Maybe the hanging, the hanging oh, ones. Oh, they pull like a yeah. string. Yeah. I feel like that was that was more common. Oh, okay. But maybe she like made like the design for what we have now, like maybe yeah. something different. So she was also there's like a long thing for her career, but I promise I won't talk about that like the whole time. Okay. Um, <laughs> She was also an industrial engineer for General Electric. Um, and Ooh, one, I know them. Yeah, they're a thing. And then yeah. once 
Um, she was trying to design the perfect height for kitchen appliances and interviewed over 4,000 women to survey them and, like, figured out what height yeah. to put it at. Which is crazy, because you wouldn't so, think, like, like, when you're cooking, like, no. this is a good height, but it is. Yeah. It's, it's a good height. That's it's awesome. not like, you don't just walk up to a stove and you're like, this is too tall, or this yeah. is too low. Because they're always right. Yeah. Because of her. Because of her. That's crazy. Because if it wasn't for her, then maybe, like, there would have been Stop. houses that caught on fire because there was something that was too low and got caught on a shirt. Yeah. She probably oh, saved people's lives. Like that. Whoa. Yeah. So she's pretty much the greatest. Leave thing it to ever. the women to think of like those little tiny things that like no one would ever think about. Well, more on that later. But um. All right. So <laughs> more some like women things. She was an advisor to five presidents on defense issues and women's rights. So it wasn't like she uh-huh. was just like women's rights. She was like defense issues. Yeah. You got it. defense issues and women's rights Um, however because of discrimination from the engineering community she focused on female friendly domestic research so like she didn't want to do things like that like she liked being in like factories and working with industrial companies and with engineers but everyone was like ew no because this was this was like mid 1900s so yeah um but she actually despised housework, and she had <laughs> um, hired full-time help throughout the house, and her children described the kitchen as a model of inefficiency. <laughs> so she actually, like, kind of hated it, but she was yeah. really good. So, That's yay. <laughs> um, that so, like, sucks, like, whenever you're really good at something you hate. <laughs> That's, oh. like, me with nothing. <laughs> like, or maybe I don't know because I haven't tried it. I don't know. Yeah, um, you hate it, right? So, um, some other like just a list of things because it's just like I can't go in to every single thing she did. She yeah. did so much. So she was a Girl Scouts consultant, charter yes. member of Altrusa Club for professional and business women. She was head of the Share the Work program and women's section of the President's Emergency Committee for Employment during the Great Depression. That's a long thing. Yeah, so basically she was like, this is what women are going to do to get us out of the depression. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Well, and the Share the Work program, which was a really big thing. Yeah. So both of those, not just one, not just the other one, but both. So it's crazy. Um, Let's see. So, yeah, I wrote that she did a bunch of other stuff with the government on advising for women in the military and also just, like, general consultant stuff. Yeah. Um, also, her and her husband, Frank, worked together a lot. So she was oh. more, like, the consultant psychology side, and he was more mm-hmm. the engineering side. So together they started Gilbreth Incorporated, which was originally Frank B. Gilbreth Incorporated, but Lillian renamed it after he <laughs> died in 1924. <laughs> so, like... He was not having that. Yeah. So, no. um, something cool they did that wasn't money-related is that they taught free two-week-long summer schools from 1913 to 1916 in scientific management. So she was, like, one of the pioneers in this field. And what so. Is science- management 
I think that's like the psychology of um, like organizing and structuring companies like physically and emotionally. But isn't that industrial organization? I think it's I think they're all like along the same line. I think lines. it's the same. Okay. I don't think it's the same. don't no, don't quote me yeah, on that. They're not the yeah. same. They're so, different. Like, I don't know how. I they're different. About, I, I don't know what the difference yeah. is, but yeah. they're different. Um <laughs> they did a lot of things. So they went they worked on things from working and rehabilitation of veterans after World War One to designing napkins for Johnson and Johnson. Like they had the whole scale they, covered. They did everything. Yeah, God. these were they did not tie themselves down. They were like, no. if it's around, we are doing it. We're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were crazy. also very academic. They wrote many books together in over 50 scientific papers, Aww. which is like, isn't that just goals? goals? That's so goals. cute. <laughs> just imagine like, hey, honey, do you want to go on a date? And then it's like you go to the library and write a research oh. paper Aww. together. <laughs> Oh, that's cute. So cute. First date ideas. Take <laughs> notes. Um, but Lillian, PhD, who not who was not typically listed as co-author, and was less frequently credited than Frank, who did not attend college. <gasps> so make of this what you will. So yeah. Um, well, I mean, but I guess that kind of goes back to I don't remember who we were talking about, but like she got to do the work she didn't care about right the but it's still like this is like early I mean, mid still, 1900s and it still is annoying but it's thought that it was like pressure from publishers that it wouldn't be well received yeah like she was still credited for some of it but it's just like she's a doctor and yeah. like and he, didn't he didn't go to college go to college that's insane yeah um but yeah so that's kind of that is a really quick summary of, like, or I guess not, like, a really quick summary, but that's, like, what she did throughout her life. Um, so I have one more thing that's, like, super, um, I guess not the, like, not, like, the most important aspect or, like, the main focus of her, obviously, um, but something really notable about her was her family. So not only did she do all the stuff that I just said, but she was a mom and not only was she a mom she had 12 kids <gasps> 11 of which were under 19 when frank died oh my lord mm-hmm. so she grew up with she was one of 11 kids yeah and so she was like you know what that wasn't enough <laughs> i'm gonna one up my mom well, kids. <laughs> so basically, she was just doing all of this while. Yeah. While. Oh my God, twelve. Twelve kids. Kids. Like, I can't imagine doing like doing all that stuff in my life or having twelve kids separately, much no, less both. That's insane. Like she had hired full time help. Yeah. But you would need hired full time help. If you're working with, like, a few kids. Yeah. Like, especially like, 12. She's still the one, like, carrying those babies. Like, right. Like, so probably doing, to do all of that stuff and to have that many kids, she had to have been working, like, all throughout. Right. 
her pregnancies. And she ha- uh so that's like what's I don't know what twelve times nine is, but whatever that is, that's how many months. I'm, I'm doing the math. Okay, I'm waiting. A hundred and eight. What? How many years is that? Um. Um. Oh, I did the math wrong. A hundred and eight divided by twelve. Nine. That's nine, nine years. Nine that she spent years pregnant. Total pregnant. She did That's all that other stuff, and she lived to be so old. How? How old was she when she died? Ninety-three. That's really old. Okay, so, <laughs> but oh also so, something cool about their kids is like her husband was Frank B. Gilbreth, so they had like one of their sons they named Frank B. Gilbreth Jr., but they mm-hmm. also named one of their daughters Lillian M. Gilbreth Jr. Nice. This is the first time I have seen like a girl Jr. Yeah, I I love whenever like moms name their kids after themselves because it's like men do it all the time right why Why can't and like i hate whenever people are like why did you name your daughter after yourself because i'm like men do it literally all no just because i'm amazing and i can exactly like i want to commemorate myself yeah i carry this baby let me do something for myself exactly (laughs) so that's awesome so i'm pretty sure if i counted right that she had um 31 grandkids I'm pretty sure. Oh my like, gosh. I think That's like I don't know. One of her kids had five, I think. Five kids and I think another one might have had four, but most of them had two or three. Like Yeah. It wasn't like one kid had five kids. Yeah, um, because I mean they all grew up with like <laughs> right. eleven other siblings. They're like, I'm not going to do that to my kids. <laughs> right. So, yeah, that's crazy. Um, Also, so one of their daughters, Ernestine, and also Frank Jr., um, wrote a couple books about growing up in their family. So one of the books was written in 1950 called Bells on Their Toes, and there was a film made about it in 1952. And a book they wrote in 1948, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's the book Cheaper by the Dozen. (laughs) I love, oh my god, I didn't even, oh my gosh, how I, how did my brain not even do that? Oh my gosh. Oh, I love Jupiter by the Dozen. So, the kids of this woman who invented the foot pedal trash can and the wall light switches wrote oh, Cheaper by the Dozen about their family. Oh my gosh. I love yeah. it. Isn't that crazy? Like, I didn't realize that until after I started researching her. And I was like, wait. Cheaper by... Like, I would talk about her anyway. But yeah. also Cheaper by the Dozen. I love Cheaper by the Dozen <laughs> so much. Oh so gosh. that was adapted into a film in 1950 and then again in 2003 with yeah. all your favorites, Steve Martin, oh, Bonnie Hunt, Hilary Duff, among yes. others. And then Cheaper oh. by the Dozen 2 in 2005. So obviously, like, the new Cheaper by the Dozen wasn't based strictly on the moot book, but they do make a couple of references to Lillian in it. So, um, the name... I'm 110% going to read both of those books. You should. What was the name of the first one? Bells on Their Toes? Bells on Their Toes. It's like B-E-L-L-E-S. Okay, I'm definitely going to read both of those at some point in my life. I don't know if I'll read them, but I want to watch the old movies. I yeah. Think that would be cool. Ooh, we should we should get together and do that. We should. We should do that. 
Do you want to make that. plans? What are you doing tomorrow? Um, tomorrow? Um... Never mind. It doesn't matter. Um, so the reason told, that they named it... I don't it, even know what day of the week it is. Okay. <laughs> the reason they named it Cheaper by the Dozen is it said... I don't know if this is true or not, but this is, like, why they said it was named that. Was that um, Frank, the dad, whenever they, like, had everyone in, like, the family van or whatever, they held 14 people in. Yeah. Whenever they were at red lights and someone would look in and be like, Mister, how come you got so many kids? He would, like, look super thoughtful and, like, use thinking really hard until the light turned green he's like well i guess they come cheaper by the dozen and then would drive off <laughs> i love it so much yeah it's that's yeah. the best thing i've ever heard <laughs> so i guess to kind of wrap up um she lillian died at 93 of a stroke in phoenix arizona and her ashes were scattered at sea, which Ooh. is, yeah, so, so she doesn't really have a resting place, she just, yeah. she's just the, doing the her ocean, thing. The world yeah. is her resting place. That's amazing. Okay, so my last okay. thing that I want to say about her is kind of like some awards that I'm familiar with. There's a lot more, but these are the ones that... I recognized, and I was like, oh my gosh. So the first one that I think is really cool is she was the first honorary member of Society of Women Engineers, which I am in. I am in <gasps> Society of Women Engineers, so I'm a national member, and I'm a treasurer for our chapter for Society yeah, of Women uh, Engineers. And next month, I'm going to SWE's conference, national conference, where, like, members from all around the country are going to be in the same place. We're going to have, like, meetings and meet up and talk to networking people. And we're going to, like, meet, like, there's going to be, like, speakers and stuff. And it's just about, like, women in engineering. Like, guys awesome. could go, too, but it's, like, the, like, idea of it. Like, yeah. the theme. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited. She was the second member of the American Society of Industrial Engineers, and she was the second female member of the American Society of Mechanical Engineers, which is cool because there's a chapter of ASME at my school, too, and I have some friends in it, so I was like, nice. And then also the Gilbreth Engineering Library in Purdue, and she was the first woman to receive the Hoover Medal, and she became friends with the Hoover family. So, oh, also, she has 23 honorary degrees. That's all. (laughs) 23. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wow. In addition to the ones that she already got. To her, oh my lord. So she has at least 26. Man. (laughs) Oh, and she has 12 kids. And 12 kids. How, how, I don't understand how people are able to do all of that, like, in a lifetime. I don't, like, I don't understand. I'll be surprised if I can get two degrees in this right. lifetime. And I'll be surprised if I can get the one, honestly. <laughs> she had, like, 26. Yeah. That's, oh my lord. And, like, 23 of them, they were like, you are too good for this, just take it. Like, yeah. Can you imagine being that powerful and so amazing? Just like, if you can invent the foot pedal on a trash can, you deserve 26 degrees. Like, who would have thought of that? Like, I never would have just been like, you know what this trash can needs? I need something to step on and open it up. 
Like, I wish that we lived in the time. I mean, like, I don't wish, but at the same time, I do wish we could live in a time where, like, you could just, like, invent so many things. Like, I feel like everything now has been, like, all of the simple things have been invented. I feel like they probably thought that, too, though. But, like, how often, like, are people coming up with, like, the simple things, like the foot pedal trash can? I don't know, like, the hard-boiled egg slicer was pretty... It's pretty influential <laughs> I mean, in my life. I guess, I guess you, I guess you're right. You seen the plastic thing that holds bananas after you peel them? I'm pretty sure I saw the infomercials for that when I was. Okay. But like, those aren't like household items. Where else do you use them? But like, not. I mean, like, not like widely used. Not like everyone has one. Do you know how many inventions there have been that haven't been used in every house? There probably isn't a foot pedal trash can in every house. Okay. Annabelle, I'm okay. telling you, there's hope. Okay. okay. There's hope. Okay. Let's come up with something right now okay. that's going to be world changing and okay. make you a billionaire. A um, hacksaw that you can fit in your pocket. That sounds incredibly dangerous. <laughs> like, See? Everything's been invented okay. that can be invented. You'd have to come up with a way to make it safe. That's it. A thing. <laughs> what if you forget to put the thing on it? Okay, like a... I think you take the thing out of the thing and you store it, like, next to the thing, and when you want to use it, you put it back in and turn it on. Okay. I should be... I should Do be it. an industrial psychologist. Yes, you should. Okay. okay. I think that is all for Lillian Gilbreth. Okay. Um, well, on to my... Um, woman of the hour um, it's much much shorter yours she had a lot of things she had a lot of things she did a lot of things just um, because they're different doesn't exactly. mean I was about to say just because she <laughs> did less doesn't mean that she doesn't deserve to be honored at the same uh, doesn't level even mean, like, it's like it's what you do that matters it's the exactly. fact that you do something like, yes. it's okay if your strengths are somewhere else. It just means yes. that you're, you can do something that other people can't. Exactly. All right, so I am going to be talking about Josephine Serrano Collier. What um, a name. I, I know. I probably am saying those wrong because the first last name Serrano is Latino, but then Collier is French, so I'm just messing it all up. Whoa, but that's um, yeah. Okay, so she, I, the reason I don't have very much about her is because there w- isn't really much about her online except for um, when she died in 2014. Like all, all of the articles I read were basically like obituaries. Um, I couldn't wow. find anything that was written prior to her death uh she doesn't even have a wikipedia page so um i'm just going to quickly just shout out like the different things that i um got my information from just if because you don't like have a wikipedia page and yeah, what are you doing exactly if i don't <laughs> she was ever too say, good for one exactly if i don't ever say what i'm getting my information from it's from wikipedia um so <laughs> Uh, LATimes.com, Wikitree.com, PoliceOne.com, and an NPR um, little section of an NPR uh, episode or something. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so she was LAPD's first Latina officer. Um, 
So she was born Josephine Serrano uh, on March 14th, 1922 in Jerome, Arizona. And then uh, at some point, I don't know, I don't have any years for this, but at some point her brother lost his leg in a mining accident. Oh, and no. <laughs> the family moved to Mexico for a few years. But kind of at the time, there was some, like, political unrest in Mexico. Um, and so then the family moved to L.A. Wait, why? I, I don't know. Okay. That's yes, literally, ma'am. that's all I could find. <laughs> okay, I guess they had, like, family like, there that could... Yeah, I think that might have been it. Like, they needed I to, like, stay home to help him more and stuff. Yeah, at some point, they moved um, from Arizona to Mexico, and then they moved to L.A. Um because of some unrest in unrest. That's just what it said on one of those articles. Got it. Um, I could have done more research, but I didn't. Um, (laughs) So they lived in the Lincoln Heights neighborhood of LA. Maybe it's just like all the houses were as tall as Lincoln. So it was like, you could only, you could only like, if you couldn't afford like a whole house, Mm-hmm. You could go for the flatter versions. It's kind of like cars, how you can get, like, the standard model, and then you keep paying for more, like, automatic uh-huh. windows and stuff. I 100% bet that is why it's called Lincoln Heights. Yeah, so, like, a Lincoln-sized house is just, like, the roll-up windows of houses. <laughs> All right. Um, so, it was considered a tough neighborhood, and... The well, yeah! Of- <laughs> how do you get in? <laughs> Um, and the residents didn't have good relations with the police. And it was common for kids to be beaten uh, by the police for, you know, like, minor things or oh. for nothing at all. And there was a lot of tension and racism towards Mexicans in L.A. just as a whole at the time. Um, so when Josephine was 14, her father died Um, I don't know what of. I probably, I don't think it really matters that much, but... um, Well, in our context, it matters, but it formed her into the woman she becomes. (laughs) Um, So her mother and herself were left to care for her brothers. Um, So she was made um, safety officer at her school, and she was like, ooh, I kind of like um, being in charge. Okay, so then we're going to jump to World War II. So, oh. during World War II... <laughs> <laughs> yes, ma'am. She was um, a riveter in a factory, like Rosie the Riveter. She was... That's Ooh. what she did. Um, like many other women at the time. But then the war ended, and then all the men came back, and they were like, we want our jobs back. And she was like, I liked working. It was fun. Can yes, you ma'am. explain what a riveter is? Nope. <laughs> no, I cannot. Okay. Um, she's just, like a factory worker. <laughs> I didn't think anyone would ever ask me that. I oh, yes, I'll look it up. <laughs> okay. Okay. A rivet is a metal pin for passing through holes in two or more plates or pieces to hold them together. Yep. So. They were, like, holding the country together. Oh. Well, because... So it wasn't, like, an actual... Like, there was a hole to fill. Yeah, I think it was just, like... It wasn't, like, one of the jobs in the factory. Right. It was just, like, a title 
for a woman worker at the that time. That could just be wrong. Oh. That could, that could, courtesy of dictionary.com. I like to think that's what it is. Welcome back to our ASMR podcast. (laughs) Sorry, I'm (laughs) sucking. These chairs are very old and very noisy. Is there something wrong with the Annabelle? No, she's just settling. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. So she was also a riveter. So she was, uh, yeah. So then she lost her job and, yeah. Okay, so then her, a friend told her that the LAPD was going to be hiring women for a, quote, trial run. Um, so she decided to, like, sign up, um, even though, like, she wasn't guaranteed to actually get the job. And then if she did get the job, it wasn't guaranteed to last because it was a trial run, you know. So they were just like, we're just going to see how this goes. Right. But she was like, I really want to do this, so I am going all in. Nice. Um, and she thought that she could be a good liaison between the Latino community and the LAPD because there was that tension there. Right. Her family was very much against it um, because they were like, you're not only um, Latina, but you're a woman, and that's just, nothing is good about it. Well, yeah, that'd be like if you grew up seeing that as like... yeah those are the people that you're afraid of and like if your like big sister was going to basically join them then you you wouldn't you wouldn't really understand exactly um and her fiance at the time actually broke off their engagement (gasps) um and so she could have been like yeah okay uh, i don't want to lose this relationship but she was like, no, I don't care, boy, bye. But, like, was, dang! Yeah, she was like, oh, I want to do this. And she, again, still wasn't even guaranteed to be accepted. And then even if she was accepted, she wasn't guaranteed to keep that job. But it was job. like he wasn't being supportive. It's like, yeah, she's doing yeah, something important to her. So it totally, like, it makes sense. But it's like, that's that would be so scary to do. Because it's like, you've yeah. already started planning your life around this person. Yeah, They're probably very much, like part of your family yeah she sacrificed a lot going into this um so around 200 women tested um and only 21 were accepted and only nine made it through the training and she was one of those nine so nine of the original 200 actually went all the way through so she um officially became an officer in october 1946 at the age of 24 the women were given no graduation ceremony, they received no diploma, and they weren't given a gun. Um, and all of the men who did all that, they got all of those things. You can make your own observations as to why that is. Yeah. Um, so after graduating from the academy, she and some of the other women were assigned to work in the Lincoln Heights jail. And there, they had to wear nurses' uniforms left over from the war because they didn't have women uniforms. Then why don't they get some? Exactly. They had they, this whole thing. They knew they, they were going to... Nope, they were just like, mm, you can just wear these old nurses' uniforms, which I would imagine... I mean, I'm sure they're pretty practical for, you know, like... But the respect that comes with having, like, being an officer, especially if you're working in a prison. In a prison. Like, not saying everyone in there is dangerous, obviously, but, like... You need to have some sense of control over them. Right. Yeah. Um, But, no, they wore 
nurses' uniforms. Because uh, nothing speaks enforcement. Like, well, I guess, I, well, in a hospital. Yeah, but this isn't a hospital. This is a right. jail. So, yeah. Um, so, a second week on the job, a trustee at the jail told her that a woman was having a baby in one of the cells and was trying to flush it down the toilet. <laughs> and so, um, Josephine, uh, like, entered the cell and saved the baby and the mother and transported them I thought this to was going to be, like, a scheme to escape, to distract her, but no, so, someone was actually no, trying... No, someone was actually trying to flush their baby down the toilet. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Did you ever watch the show, I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant? <laughs> yeah. I've seen, like, YouTube clips of it. That's crazy. I watched that whole show, and I just I just have a vivid memory of one episode where a woman went to, like, a gas station bathroom and thought she was, like, constipated, but she actually was giving birth. Did she just, like, give birth in the bathroom? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Anyway. <laughs> I just... Like, it's so weird because, like, I feel like there's not much middle ground. Like, it's either, like, you go to the hospital, you have 80 doctors in the room, you're on all the drugs, like, like, and you're, like, there's tons of people around, or you're, like, in a car or gas station bathroom, and it just kind of (laughs) happens. Okay, so two years later, two years, um, they had to go through extra training to be issued guns. Um, so, which I don't think is, like, a bad thing, like, in general, but, like, right. the fact that the men, when they graduated, they were immediately issued guns. Like, they were on the right track. Like, that yeah. was what you're, that's, like, that's what that makes sense. Yeah, but the fact that the men were able to have guns. Um, so, and then later, after they were, like, after they left the jail they were assigned to work undercover in Pershing Square um where they I don't know why this is important but it was like in all of the articles they wore heels skirts hats and gloves and so one night um a man uh thought they were hookers and solicited them sex workers sex workers sex workers that was copied and pasted um (laughs) And so then he began telling them how he liked children and what he liked to do with them. Oh, um, and, they, and they were like, jackpot. <laughs> exactly. They had to walk all the way down to the bus depot uh, with the man before they could flag down a unit to transport their arrest to the station. What year is so, this? Or, like, approximately? Give me, like, a 30-year range. Um, she became an officer in 46, so this is, like, two years after that. So, so did they have, like, radios? Like, or, like, ways? I don't know. When was the radio invented? I don't know. <laughs> but, like, I think, like, what they, like, they should have had the women, you know, on the street, and then had a police car very close by. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they weren't, like, equipped to, you know, actually arrest someone if they needed to. So they had to walk with this creepy guy for, you know, a while before they could actually do something with him. Wait, so were they intentionally trying to look like sex workers? I don't know. Because, I mean, I've heard of cops doing that. Yeah, that's a thing. Right. 
It just said that they were undercover. Um, okay. So, um, in 1948, she married a fellow officer, Jack Coulier, um, and she stayed on the force until 1960, um, and then she was forced to retire because of a back problem, Mm -hmm. but she was on the force for 14 years, which I think is a significant amount of time. Right. Um, and later she worked as a counselor with the Job Corps, so that's kind of, like, what she did after she had to retire. Um, and then she also worked, like, um, on a farm in, like, Oregon for a bit. Of course. That's the natural progression exactly. of, <laughs> of careers. It's like, there's, um, is there a lot of room for growth being a police officer? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, once you do a good enough job, you become a farmer. Like, that's exactly. just... Exactly. It's just what happens. Uh-huh. Um, and then even after she left the force, um, it was still kind of, like, a part of her. Um, her daughter said that she would watch shows like Cops and would say things like, well, that's not the right way to do it. That's <laughs> like so my mom like, with every, like, medical show yeah, ever. she would, like, watch, like, true crime shows and, like, critique them. <laughs> um, she died at 91 um, in February 2014, and uh, so fairly recently. But then, like, I still also would like to point out the fact that, like, all of the articles that I could find were written after her death. Nothing mm-hmm. seemed to be written before her death. Right. Um, they were all kind of, like, eulogies. Um, because I guess while she was, like, still doing all that stuff, like, it wasn't like people were looking for, oh, we want to write about the first Latina police officer, but then once she dies and it more attention comes to it they're yeah. like oh this was her but I feel like the attention should have been there earlier. well I think we're past that point yeah <laughs> okay um so I couldn't really find any quotes from her um for that's what she said but I do have some kind of honorary quotes about her that can be in the honorary that's what she said Um, So LAPD Chief Charlie Beck said, Our department thanks Josephine for her sacrifices and for breaking the lines that divided women from many assignments in the early history of the LAPD. Those sacrifices and her commitment opened the door for many women and Latinas in the department, setting the stage for future generations. Um, And then... Assistant Chief Sandy Joe MacArthur said, The path for my success and other women of the LAPD is paved with the courage of Josephine Serrano and others like her. This department will forever be grateful. And then one last one from her daughter, Suzanne. My mother always stuck up for the underdog, and I'm very proud of what my mother did. That's so cute. And that is Josephine Serrano Collier. Um, okay, well, I forgot to say my quote, but there's only <laughs> one that I found that I feel like would, that's not just like, this is what industrial management is like, but yeah. it is, I'd be very interested in a two-headed boy. What? <laughs> that's it. And that's, what? And that's what she said. What's the context? <laughs> I don't know. But it's too good not to share. What? Yep. Okay. At some point in her life, she said it, and now I have two. <laughs> That's okay. You say it so you can be quoted for it. I would be very interested in a two-headed boy. Okay, now we can both be quoted as saying nice. it. Everyone else, 
pause Everyone the podcast, knows. say it say out it. loud around other people. Exactly. Wherever you are, uh-huh. just say it. And we can just all say be it. Quote, if that's you're how... in Starbucks right now, just say it out loud. You know what? How about, like, if once one day when we get super famous if you exactly. think someone yeah. else has listened to the podcast you <gasps> go up to them yes. and you say that and yes, then like if like they and then we have to find a part two of that to respond to yeah maybe the ne- the next weird quote that we can find yeah so it's <gasps> like i'll like i would go up to someone and say i'd be very interested in a two-headed boy and then they say something and if like, they knew what you were talking about they would or they say something like like a specific vague kind of off-putting response Mm. (laughs) and then you know (laughs) yes but if they call the police then you know that they They have not listened to this podcast (laughs) (laughs) no but that's Um, like that's so cool like she was just like i know no one else has done this before and i know they're not they're not gonna be super fair to me or anything but i don't Mm -hmm. care i'm gonna do it anyway Um, I forgot to say at the beginning that the reason I kind of wanted to, why I found her and how I chose her or whatever, was because I'm taking a class called Women in Crime, and it is my favorite class um, that I have ever taken, and I love it so much. What the heck? I'm I'm so jealous! (laughs) I'm not even a criminology major or anything, I'm just taking it as an elective, but... Um, yeah, I really, really love it, and, um, so it inspired me to just, like, go and, like, look up, I, what did I look up? I looked up, like, awesome women in criminology, Yeah. and she was one of them, and she was also a racial minority, so. Yeah. Yeah. She's wild. She's awesome. So, yeah. If your school offers a class called Women in Crime, take it. Um, Take it. Does it cover, like, also female criminals, or just criminologists? No, it covers females in all aspects of the criminology Whoa. system. Offenders, um, officers, and, like, attorneys and everything. So Victims, cool. everything. Yeah. That's wild. It's really, That's yeah. so many people. It's so many people. I wonder yeah. if there's, like, you could have, like, a whole... Imagine just, like, that being your major. Like, what do you want to do for a living? I want to be a woman in crime. Like, that's so... <laughs> that's so... <laughs> Like, general, it can mean yeah. anything. Yes, I want to be a criminal. <laughs> could mean that. Exactly. It could mean you want to catch criminals. Exactly. It could be that you want to be a witness to a crime. Yep. Yep. Any, the options are endless. Endless, absolutely endless. Yeah. Yep. So, what do you think? Could you be, could you be friends with Lillian Gilbreth? And her 12 children. And her 12 children. I would not want to be her babysitter. Um, (laughs) I would be be fine being one of six of her babysitters. Yes. For, like, at least $40 an hour. That would be nice. Yeah. And, I mean, she invented the wall light switch, so you would hope she could afford that. She's got money. I mean, maybe $40 then. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe like well, you know. maybe like a quarter. I would be <laughs> like, a really a quarter. I don't deserve all that. <laughs> um. So could you be friends with Josephine? I feel like I'd be too intimidated. Like I would yeah. want to be, but I feel like I would have, would a, have major, a major. I would have friend. Crush. I would have a major friend crush on her. Major friend crush. Exactly. It'd be like I bet she's the 
best person to have at like parties like she's always the cool collected best stories like and she's she's the person that like you wouldn't you wouldn't expect to be like that like she's the one that's like friendly like she's not too talkative but like Mm -hmm. that could all be totally wrong like maybe she's just like maybe she just like eats all the food and then yeah gets too drunk and is rude to everybody but i don't know (laughs) i don't think so i don't think so i feel like you don't become the first of anything like that and then also not be a cool person exactly exactly so yeah yep well do you have any any other comments to add um i don't have any comments do you have any comments i don't think so i can't yell at you to shut off the podcast this time because i'm the one you're the one i'm the one that has to shut it off should i do it or should you yell at yourself i can't yell at myself that's just too too much so i i thought i don't really know when to turn it off so i kind of i need some kind of cue okay go now